Oh, there we go. I have to hit that extra button whenever Rich is doing this. Greetings and welcome to the divide. Well, hit Rich is always doing this, but welcome to the dividing line. Here we are. I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> it's somewhere between Gettysburg and Conway, Arkansas. How's that? Um, really nice spot. Nice folks here, and a super solid 5G ultra fast uh, connection. And uh, so we're very, very, very thankful that some little kids walking by. Uh, the sun will be off my head here in a while, so the the glare will will end as the sun is setting here in uh, in the east. And uh, so I'm really honestly excited to be with you. Let me just explain. Some people, I guess there are some people actually suggesting that I had uh, gone into hiding or something uh, because of criticisms of things I said. <laughs> actually, what happened was I, I messed up pretty badly. Um, in, oh, by the way, do you see this here? I, I, I'll forget this if I don't mention this. Some guys gave this to me in, um, in Louisville. It, it's a little uh, facsimile of P52. And it fits perfectly up here, but you can't see it up there. So I, I stuck it down here for now. I'm not sure how we're going to get that into the shot there because that's not a good spot. But um, anyway, uh, thanks for that. I appreciate that, guys. Uh, really do. Uh, it's it's super cool. Anyway, um, what happened was I you can travel long distances in Arizona in a short period of time because we have big wide roads and they're straight and you can go really fast on them. Okay, and so I'm like 35 minutes from Apologia, but I think I'm 35 40 miles probably about 40 miles. Um, but you get to get there so much faster because of things called freeways. In Pennsylvania, um, unless it's two spots that happen to be on a freeway, um, you can look at the distance. And I, I did all my calculations in Arizona thinking or maybe Texas thinking or Western thinking. I, I, that, that's what it was. Pennsylvania is forests, hills, and agriculture, uh, cornfields everywhere. And all the roads are two, two lanes, 45 max. Um, and then you'll always go, you got corners and steep hills and turns. And then you always have to drive through little towns at 25 miles per hour. And so I had sort of figured, yeah, I'm close enough here, there, there, there. Wow, I was driving everywhere. And unlike this KOA, the KOA I was at in Gettysburg basically doesn't have Wi-Fi. Oh, it, okay, it has a free, unsecure Wi-Fi signal. My, my system wouldn't even hook up to it. It's like, nope, that's not secure. Nope, not, not going to play with that. And so even the cell coverage there was one bar, very minimal, we tried. Yes, we've we've got satellite capacity, um, but it was fully wooded. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't enough of the sky available to to do anything. So we were just out of it. I just there was nothing I could do. And um, uh, Chris Arnson, of course, had me scheduled pretty much every single night as he always does. So it I really didn't have any extra time to be trying to sneak something in, anyways. So this is this looks like it is. There we go. 
<laughs> now it's now it's at least uh, even. <laughs> so I was I was wanting to go like this the whole time. So anyway, uh, so no, we weren't hiding. Uh, I was busy speaking. Okay, Chris and I did spend one day at the Gettysburg Battlefield, but we I spoke that night. Uh, we we traveled from there, and um, uh, it was it was a lot of fun to do stuff with uh, with Chris again. Uh, but here we are, and I just let, let me very quickly say some quick thanks. Uh, of course, Chris Arnzen, all the stuff that he arranged, uh, the debate. We will be talking about the debate here in a little while. And uh, the other speaking that I did um, in the general Louisville, Carlisle, uh, Harrisburg, and to the east general area is is where I was speaking. Um, and, uh, you know, that take, took a lot of work. Before that, of course, we were at G3. I haven't had opportunity to talk about um, that very much, but I just wanted to thank uh, Josh and uh, Virgil and Scott and um, um, Kathy Stewart with uh, with Sovereign, all the guys with G3. It was a really wonderful time. Um, I really, really enjoyed the opportunity of speaking at the conference. Extremely encouraged by all the people that came up to me. Uh, once again, and people always come up to me and say, I know you've heard this a thousand times before, and it's it's true. Sometimes I have, uh, but to to just uh, realize the unique blessing that we have had over the past number of literally only you know, what fifteen years, when you really have the web doing what the web's doing right now, and we don't know how long we're going to have access to that in the future, um, but just the the ability to have global ministry from an RV uh, out in the woods, like, like I am right now, is just truly amazing. It really, really is. And um, I'm very, very thankful for it. And so to hear the testimonies of people coming to know the Lord, people being brought out of uh, false faith, being encouraged in the true faith, um, it's uh, it never really does grow old. And so there at G3, we had all sorts of opportunities of talking to people. And, of course, we had the fun at the uh, Museum of the Bible, where even though they wouldn't let me do a um, tour uh, officially, we ended up doing that anyways, uh, sort of. And um, just, a, just a grand time with, uh, uh, you know, the first edition of Erasmus and facsimiles of P75 and P72 and and uh, Vaticanus and, and all sorts of stuff like that. It was, um, you know, Wycliffe Bible, a Tyndale Bible. It was, it was really, really, really enjoyable uh, to do that uh, there at Museum of the Bible. So I'm glad I got a chance to see that and uh, to meet all of you there. Uh, then up to Pennsylvania and uh, everything, everything that took place there. Uh, the debate on Saturday uh, afternoon, like I said, we'll get to that as well. And uh, so uh, I also want to thank very much Dr. Kyle Daimler, who is a member at the, the Church of Living Christ in, in Louisville, which was that beautiful facility we had for the debate. And then I preached there yesterday, yesterday morning on the sufficiency of scripture. And um, uh, so uh, Dr. Daimler put me back together again. I've, you know, I, I, we can't really afford to to pay uh, Dr. Wybrew to travel with me, <laughs> separate units and her and her family and so that, but that wouldn't work really well. So uh, it's tough for me when I travel to be away 
from the best chiropractor in the world. I don't know how you all that don't go to chiropractors survive, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, he saw me last Wednesday. And then um, I woke up Sunday morning with a banging headache. Uh, I theorize it was because I was looking left for like three hours during the debate. Um, that may have that may have triggered something. I don't know. But uh, I just contacted uh, Chris. He got hold of Dr. Daimler. And uh, Dr. Daimler grabbed his portable uh, table and took care of me before service, before I preached. So I didn't have to fight through uh, all that stuff. So I'm very, very, very thankful for, for that. He's an excellent chiropractor. And, and that's, uh, that's great. So thanks to everybody who did all that. Uh, to the people who gave us rides. And, and when we were in, uh, uh, well, and a certain person who gave me rides, let me park my truck at his house and, and uh, all that fun stuff that we had going on uh, up there. Just lots of folks that made all of it uh, worthwhile. Just one thing to, to note, the um, panel discussion that we did the second day at G3, um, you know, you, you just get assigned to panel discussions and sometimes, once in a while, they're interesting. Uh, most of the time, it's sort of same old, same old, and it just fills time. Um, I had no idea what to expect with this one because uh, Virgil, Virgil Walker was uh, leading it, and then you had me. Um, and then um, you had... Oh, Jenna Ellis, who represented um, Grace Community Church in their lawsuit with the state over the shutdown stuff, which they won. Uh, but she's much better known for uh, representing Donald Trump. And I had met her over dinner, uh, speaker's dinner the night before, and I was just, I didn't really get into stuff. I was just sort of listening from the outside. Um, but it was very, very interesting. Um, and then, I'm sorry, I, I just got all set up and stuff like that. And Delano Squires, there we go. It just, the old brain has to, you know, sort of, sort of got an 8088 processor, I'm afraid. And uh, it just, some of you have no idea what that means. Uh <laughs> but some of us lived with 8088 processors before the Pentium came along. Uh, never mind. Anyways, um, so as the four of us, Virgil, Delano, Jenna, and myself, I didn't know what to expect. It hasn't, to my knowledge, been posted yet. Um, it was fire. I mean, I guess that's how you're supposed to describe things. Like, I was fire and use your fire emojis and stuff like that. Um, it was really good. It was, we, we worked really well together. Um, I, it was the first time I had ever been on a, a panel discussion where when Virgil said we're out of time, the audience started chanting, go longer, go longer, go longer. I had never normally when you get done with the panel discussion, it's like, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We, 
Or you could have ended 10 minutes ago. We would have been fine. Uh, that's normally how it goes. Not this time. They want us to keep on going. And um, when it gets posted, I'm going to make sure everybody knows because it was, it was, it was really good. It, the, the Lord blessed and it, it, it was, it was really, really good. So we'll make sure to get that one out there and make sure everybody knows. Yeah. Did you see this story? Uh, it just, you know how you'll get notifications thrown up and this is thrown up on top of um, my Zoom thing. But about the uh, FBI, 30 some odd agents, heavily armed agents, uh, busting into a pro-life guy's home because of something last year where some person outside of the uh, abortion clinic got in his kid's face and he pushed the person. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about the less personal thugs, who would have ever thought how quickly, uh, we could degrade to a level beneath where the Soviets were? Cause I mean, this is a KGB. These are, these are just, that would never happen to an LGBTQ activist. It would never happen to a Democrat. This is so obviously politically motivated. It is so obvious that it's the people in the regime punishing the people they don't like uh, that I, I sent it to uh, Jeff and said, well, get ready. Because that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. Um, it is amazing the speed at which the fabric of a law and order is uh, being shredded purposefully uh, by the people on the left. And um, we'll see what happens in November about that. But yeah, that was a, there was a notification that, that popped up uh, about that. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that's happened since last week. And uh, let me let me start off with this. Um, I mean, aside from talking about what we just did, um, we're already 15 minutes in, so I obviously have been addressing these things already. When I made reference to Master's Seminary in, on a webcast a couple of months ago, a lot of people misunderstood why that would be relevant. I am deeply concerned about a form of neo-scholasticism that is manifesting itself in the Reformed world, amongst Reformed Baptists in particular, uh, but also amongst Presbyterians as well. And we have obviously spent hours on this program uh, talking about these issues and delving into um, Dr. Carter's book and uh, reading, you know, we started off providing a response to James Dolezal and raising questions and issues related to um, the issue of biblical authority, exegesis, natural theology, speculative philosophical theology, confessions, creeds. And we went from truly truly speculative uh, discussions about uh, the relationship 
and nature of God's attributes ad intra and uh, inseparable operations. And whether you, whether saying God accomplishes his will, there is no contradiction to Father, Son, Spirit, or perfect unity. That's not enough. You literally have to say that whatever God does ad extra outside of being internal uh, is a Trinitarian act leading to confusion about incarnation and, and the spirit's role. And it just exegetically, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, it's amazing how you went from that necessarily and very quickly to the issue of authority. And if you push back against the people pushing this neo-scholasticism, then you are called a biblicist. And that term biblicist is said with a hiss it is a pejorative. It is an insult. And the whole reason I mentioned masters was, and every person in this audience knows anything about the school and is more than 10 years old, knows that in 2012, 10 years ago, if you had spoken to any staff member, any professor at Master Seminary, and asked them if they were a biblicist to a man. They not only would have said yes, but they would have seen that as a compliment and a high compliment at that. And so, as I have been discussing who is promoting great tradition exegesis and interpreting the Bible in the light of the great tradition and the the whole and and I, I I don't like using the term classical theism thing because that's been stolen. We're all classical theists. Um, again, the open theist came up with the term classical theist, and nobody has any more bona fides in arguing against open theism than I do. You could you could put all of my critics, all of them, who meet together like they did back around April 19th, 20th. Uh, you could put them all together and they haven't done nearly as much uh, in actually engaging with open theists as I have. Um, but they've stolen that term and so they're using it in a specific way. So it's not it's not the, the classical definition of classical theism. It is a much more uh, specific assertion that would include a um, elevation of creedal statements and creedal positions. Elevation in the sense that you are viewing um, those creedal statements as necessary to the proper interpretation of Scripture itself. And so we've talked about these issues and said, hey, there's, there's, just, there's a lot here that we need to be thinking about and talking about in regards to um, the relationship. You know, when people freak out when I said the Council of Nicaea is true because what it's taught is in Scripture, not because the Council of Nicaea said it. So denying that councils in of themselves have inherent authorities separate from the divine revelation of Scripture, people freak out. You're denying Nicaea, denying nothing at all. I'm saying what everyone in 2012 would have agreed with me about. And so, 
again, the whole the whole reason that I mentioned masters is when I tell people that people look at me and go, masters? That's actually a compliment. That's that's a compliment that masters would be so well known for being biblicist. That's a compliment. Now, by the way, there are professors at masters that are not promoting this kind of stuff and are not trying to push this kind of stuff. And that's great. That's wonderful. Um, and, and I pray for their success. Um, but that was the whole point was that if, if this stuff can rear its head at masters, it can go anywhere. There is none of our institutions are immune. And in fact, it is, in my opinion, it is the, it's the nature of, uh, graduate Christian education that we have created that leads to this issue. I've, I've bemoaned it many times. How many times have I said in this program that all Christian scholars should have to read first Corinthians one and two, um, you know, every six months and be reminded that the wisdom of the world is foolishness because of the tremendous temptation that exists to um, want to see at the table and to imbibe in and embrace a form of um, scholasticism that is not properly subjected to the ultimate authority of scripture. And so that was, that was the whole point there. Um, And the, the reference to the um, recommendation that had been given to uh, masters or one of the primary leaders of masters uh, by a well-known evangelical, no one can question that it happened. The point was, again, there's this constant pressure on all of our institutions to be almost ashamed of being biblicist. And of course that has become a part of this, you know, uh, over and over and over again. Well, that's just biblicism and it's a, that's against this and that's against, and and you're against Nicaea and all the rest of the kind of stuff. Neo-Sicinians, biblicists. That was part of the connection, by the way, was, was right there. Um, And so I understand that it has been decided that the seminary is, is going to, um, specifically take a stand against and oppose EFS. And that's, that's their, that's their choice. Um, I do not, I I do not believe in EFS, never have. Um, But I believe that the best, I believe that the only meaningful, weighty uh, refutation of EFS is a biblical one. It's an exegetical one. Um, If you, if you uh, if you refute EFS with speculative philosophy, then EFS can use speculative philosophy to reestablish its position. <laughs> um, and the 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 children of God, the sheep of Christ, will be fundamentally convinced by the voice of Christ in His Word. Uh, not by what pretends to be the voice of Christ through some form of speculative philosophy and, and things like that. 
Um, and if you, by the way, if you would like tremendous example and uh, Rich, remind me, I need to, um, when I type up the blog, I will forget. There's just, this is the kind of thing that just goes in one ear, out the other. So remind me, um, I listened to, I've been doing a lot of driving, <laughs> many, many hours. And many of those hours I was, I was um, preparing for the debate on the way out here. Those were not wasted hours, but I'm glad I'm not going to have to continue <laughs> that particular aspect any longer. Um, but I, I listened to, and Rich listened to, a webcast that Dr. James Dolezal did. Well, he was the guest. And not overly surprisingly, I mean, there seems to be a pattern here. Um, I listened, for example, I played a portion of Carl Truman's comments on that webcast with the two young men who, one was Catholic, one was Orthodox, and they were both formally Reformed. And I, I played that one section, interactive that one section that um, that you had from Truman. And I listened to this webcast James Dolezal did with a Roman Catholic, who I guess became a Roman Catholic from being an atheist, all on the basis of philosophy. And I don't remember how long, ago, how long it was. Was that about an hour and a half, I think, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. It was fairly lengthy. And it was just, I mean, they're both very, very brilliant philosophers. But there was exactly one scripture reference even referred to, and not exegeted, just simply a meaning was assumed. Uh, Yeah, an hour and a half. And, uh, there, there was not enough divine revelation in this conversation to, you know, if, if you were a thirsty man and that was water, you'd be dead in no time. It was, it was best example I've ever heard of, of purely speculative philosophical chatter. Um, and that was its only value to me, to be perfectly honest with you. That was its only value to me. Uh, I mean, I was listening to what they were saying, but it was just sort of like, man, if, if I had an hour and a half on a webcast, there are about 159,000 topics that I would find to be far more edifying to an audience than that one. Um, and I never want to listen to, to waste another hour and a half like that again. But I'll link to it. So you can listen to yourself. So you can hear what we're talking about. You can, you can hear it for yourself. And I'm, I'm just absolutely convinced that there, there is no future for this. Um, 99.99% of the people in the church would listen to five minutes of that and go, um, why am I doing this? Um, I don't see its role of edification. I, I don't see that it represents anything the apostles taught or believed. And... If we go that direction, because we're afraid of being called a biblicist, um, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna bode well for the future. So um, I saw some stuff. I have not had. I just simply did not have time, especially since if I see something while driving, 
then I really can't follow up on anything until I get where I'm going and stuff like that. Um, but I saw some confusion as to why I had mentioned Craig Carter and something about the TMS journal, that one episode, that one volume of the journal did have a, a bunch of the major leaders in the neo-scholastic movement uh, speaking there, uh, writing there. Uh, but when I made reference to Craig Carter, I was making reference to his book, uh, which specifically promotes the necessity of being uh, a, a Platonist Christian. Uh, a plat- you know, it's, it's just all there. So I need to track more of what was said down so I could be a little bit more specific in my responses to that. Uh, but there's some clarification to start with in regards to, well, why even mention masters? Well, because, because there's been a change and everybody knows it. And I'm concerned about the direction of what that change is if it includes any kind of neo-scholasticism that would uh, include a concern about quote-unquote biblicism. Um, It just astonishes me that that anything like that could ever happen and astonishes everybody else that I've mentioned it to. And so that's what that was all about. And I'm not sure if that was understood um, by those who took issues with it. Okay, so there's, uh, there's that. That's not over with yet, but one of those big, big, big honking units is trying to get up a hill over there. If you can hear something in the background, man, I just, I'm 44 feet long. I actually backed out of a gas station a couple hours ago. Uh, I think I would have hit my, I think I would have, I think I need 13 too. Rich thinks I only need 13, but it was only 13. So I backed out of it. Um, but that thing, that baby over there is a whole lot taller than me and a whole lot longer too. <laughs> and, uh, nah, nah, too much stress. It was bad enough today. It was very windy today and it was a crosswind. It, it, one thing when it's a headwind, another thing when it's a tailwind, when it's a crosswind, you got to slow down, um, because you're just magnifying the effect of the wind, the faster you're going. So it made for a little bit longer, longer drive than normal. Yeah. Pulling in right over there. I'm not sure if you can. No, can't see that there yet, but um, they're they're pulling it across the way. So this is live, folks. Yeah, it's the real thing. It's nice to be back. Okay, over the weekend. Well, let's let's the debate. Did I expect what happened in the debate? Now, if you've not watched the debate, I guess I should go spoiler alert or something. Um. I'm not sure if we've grabbed it yet. And since we delayed the start, they started the live stream. So it's like 20 minutes of dead air at the beginning. So if you grab the posting that they did, you just want to fast forward past that. Um, great. Man, they... You would think that they did debates there regularly because they had they the, the tables were perfect and um, it's really nice. Uh, uh, they they did a really really great job with all of that stuff. Uh, 
For those of you who had never heard of the Van Cleek father and son team, they're both Peter Van Cleek, senior and junior. Um, I hadn't until about three weeks ago either. And what had happened, and in fact, the guy that the guy that's sort of responsible for all this, who had contacted Chris, um, he had been told that Kent Hoban had said I would never debate him. And so Chris is like, would you debate Kent Hovind on the King James things? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I mean, I've, I've criticized him. And so I'll back it up. You bet. And so Chris contacted Kent Hovind and uh, way too busy for that. No, I can't do that. And so Chris starts looking around and once Chris starts looking around, Chris is going to find somebody eventually. I mean, that's, you know, the bloodhound will find something for you to chase and hunt eventually. And so he got in touch with Peter Van Cleek and contacted me. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, if Squirrel wants me to do this, but uh, are you listening right now, Gene? Uh, I'll, I'll wait. Gene, if you're if you're actually listening right now, let let me know because I just got a text from from Squirrel, um, and I'm wondering if Squirrel's wife calls him Squirrel now. That that would probably be a a scary thing. Um, but uh, somehow Chris got hold of. Yes, okay. Hey, it's listening live. So you're uh, okay. Uh, Gene Clyde, everybody knows Squirrel. He's he's probably the most famous rodent on the on the internet. <laughs> and he's I'm not sure if he's driving right now, uh, but he's heading same place I am because uh, he's taking the class I'm going to be teaching. Uh, he said Van Cleek's explanation of how he arrived the text was the worst word salad I've ever heard outside of politics. Yeah, yeah. In general, that would be true. Um, he mentioned during the debate how many minutes of my lectures and stuff he listened to as if that was supposed to mean something. Um, I purchased four of his books. The last one, um, okay. The last one was, well, they're all self-published. And the last one was self-published in June of this year. So there are very few people that have ever heard of the Van Cleek hypothesis. But I converted, you know, I got him on Kindle, converted to MP3, and invested many hours driving, uh, listening to all three volumes, and his little book about poking the bear, which was, without a doubt, the worst book I had ever read, um, expressing radical skepticism about textual criticism. I mean, he makes Bart Ehrman uh, sound like like a fundamentalist. It, it's just, it was Gale Ripplinger-esque, uh, bad. Very, very plain to me that Dr. Van Cleek has never done any textual critical work. And why would you? If you, if you believe the TR is the autograph, what a waste of time to be doing textual critical studies of... Uh, monogamous theos at John one eighteen. You already have the original. The rest of it's a waste of time, right? Yeah, must be. Um, 
so it was it was just filled with errors. It was horrible that that, that little book. You don't really get to the meat of anything um, because the first few the first volume is philosophical and it's it's reformed epistemology. And it's planting up which planting never applied this stuff to the text of scripture because he knows it's an obvious category error. We're talking about historical facts, historical datum. Um, it's the third book where you finally get into it. And I quoted some of that. I didn't quote as much as I would like to have uh, in, in the debate, but um, that's where that's where the substance was anyways. And so um, I, I had a feeling which direction it was going to go. And um, I, I just want to make sure everyone understands um, how dangerous TR onlyism is and how that was illustrated by Dr. Van Cleek's argumentation. Because, and I pointed this out a number of times during the debate, he kept saying, he kept criticizing me for all sorts of things, evidently for being old and crusty and almost dead and stuff like that. Um, but he kept criticizing me. He's telling you that your belief in the Bible should be different than your belief in any other Christian doctrine. Now that involves clear, there's a clear error there again, because when you say belief in the Bible, everyone can tell there is a fundamental difference between believing that God has spoken, believing in divine inspiration, believing that there is a, word from God that has been committed to writing and determining um, recognizing that at Revelation 16.5, the Texas Receptus that he believes is the autograph has a reading that no one before Beza had ever seen. And of course, his argument, you know, I, I, I know, uh, you, you raise anything like that to Dr. Van Cleek, it's like, well, we don't know that. Um, once you start with a TR, then you can, you can make any argument you want, but, but there's no manuscript, but it might have been, there might, there might've been something somewhere at some point in time. So any reading at all, you can go, we don't know. I mean, just because we have sermons and commentaries and manuscripts and, but but it might, it might have been there, you, 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 you know. It, uh, that's the exact argumentation that Mormons use to defend the Book of Mormon, that the Muslims use to defend the Quran. It is identical. And the door opens. <laughs> it's windy outside. Obviously, I didn't get it latched all the way. So uh, make sure. Yep, yeah, no, no, no. No mad hordes of TR only us outside with with their Trinitarian Bible Society uh, TRs sharpened to sharp points, uh, ready to uh, finish me off. <laughs> just, just check and look around. <laughs> anyway, uh, but here's again, here's the important part. When he said over and over again, He's telling you your belief in the Bible should be different than his, his doctrine. I said, yes, determining 
what the manuscripts read in Ephesians 3, 9 is not the same thing as believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're not the same kind of belief. One is a central object of faith. The other is a historical reality determined by the examination of manuscripts. And so when you think about what they were really saying, what he was really saying is the belief that the TR is the autographs is on the same level of necessity as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think he probably would argue that you really can't know the resurrection of Jesus Christ apart from that absolutely certain text, and that requires you to have the TR. But when you don't recognize, you know, uh, I didn't get into it. I, I wanted to have more time to get into it. Um, the, I, I wanted to point out to him and ask him questions about where, for example, Gregory Nisa, Gregory Nazianzus, regularly gave readings differently from the, that were different from the TR. Are they part of the church? Um, were, were they were they denying God's truth by giving a different reading from the TR? And he knows that those are issues that he's supposed to be dealing with. And so they've come up with these phrases that really have no meaning. Canonical iterations. Canonical iteration. They made it up. Nobody has any idea what it means. But those manuscripts were a canonical iteration at that particular point in time. It's funny, he can know what the canonical iteration was of those manuscripts at point in time, but he can't show us TR at any point in time prior to Erasmus. Interesting. But that confusion of how we have faith in the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, uh, the cross, atonement, um, and how we determine the readings of disputed texts, conflating those two was one of the clearest demonstrations of the fact that he, his system is utterly incoherent and cannot even be considered to be a viable option for anyone who wants to seriously deal with the text of Scripture. It was truly amazing to hear it. It really was. Now, I... Um, and I don't even know, honestly, if I watch the video, if I'll get to see much of this. Because back when I debated Bart Ehrman, people told me afterwards that he was making strange faces. And the camera normally wouldn't be on, you know, if I'm speaking, cameras could be on me, not on the other guy. And so I, I had caught a few things during the Ehrman debate, but I'm told it was much, much more intense, uh, the, uh, the behavior of my opponent, who then, um, in his closing statement, did proclaim himself the winner of the debate. And I always I always chuckle, especially when young men um, feel like they have to proclaim themselves the winner of the debate in the closing statement. Um, that normally tells you the exact opposite uh, had actually taken place in the course of the debate itself. Um, but I have seen... TR only guys, oh, that was great. That was wonderful. White can't answer any question. And, you know, for him to say, you didn't answer any of my three arguments. Three arguments were absurd. That's why. Oh, and, and then Bayes, a, a, a Bayesian analysis of the probability that the TR is the autograph. 
Bayesian analysis requires you to assign a um, level of probability for certain aspects. And, you know, the level of probability that the TR reading of Ephesians 3.9 is original is about zero. Uh, it is zero for Revelation 16.5, uh, close to zero for Revelation 14.1. Uh, and there are numerous others um, that we could that we could look at. You put all that together, and a serious Bayesian analysis would be extremely small probability. Um, but the whole idea of the TR as this text just sort of floats around. It's um, <laughs> it was amazing. But again, I'm I'm thankful for having had the opportunity of um, once again uh, demonstrating that TR only and TR onlyism is functionally no different than King James onlyism. It really isn't. It, 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 it has the same goal. Dr. Ward's right about that. And it is just as circular and just as incapable of producing a meaningful argument as King James onlyism as well. So um, there's, uh, there's that. Okay. Last thing for today uh, that we'll sneak in here. Over the weekend, Everyone has noticed that there was a uh, another explosion of what I call DWDS, a Doug Wilson derangement syndrome. And it's very obvious to me, very obvious to me what launched this one. Last, you know, earlier in the week, maybe even the week before, you had the, was it Meet the Press? Meet the Depressed? Um did the interview with Doug and talked about Moscow and seeking to bring a Christian culture to that small town. And, and Doug had owned the interviewer. It's dead. I, I mean, when she says, well, what about gay marriage? Well, no, there wouldn't be any gay marriage. Even as though it's the law of the land. Well, you mean like Roe was? <laughs> Boom. Um he had received a lot of good press. And so there are just certain people. There's the examining Moscow website, Twitter people who are anonymous, who say they, we have multiple ministers that we are accountable to, uh, but we can't tell you who they are, who we are, but we're accountable. You know, right. Um, You know, these are mudslingers that, that are, absolutely focused upon the past. They, everything they say has been responded to over and over again and over and over and over and over and over again um, over the years. Um, but uh, then, you know, so you're used to that. You, you're, there are just certain people that if Doug Wilson's name is mentioned, that's what you're going to get. You're going to, you, it's the same old stuff. Well, there was a child abuse. And it's like, oh, okay, all right. And so what was different was, I think it was only yesterday, maybe the, no, 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 no. It's Friday or Saturday, sorry, it's Friday or Saturday. Costi Hinn um, got things rolling by citing a NOCO radio episode with Mike Abendroth. And, you know, basically said he's not benign. Uh, we need to be warned about this man and stuff like that. So, so, so. so I listened 
to Mike's podcast and he had a guy on I had never heard of before. Sounds like a really young guy. I've since discovered he's written for or been discussed on the Heidel blog. So he's, he's with our Scott Clark. And there is one thing that is absolutely 1,000% certain. The last person who has any credibility in talking about Doug Wilson is our Scott Clark. The man is the king of Doug Wilson derangement syndrome. If, if Doug... <laughs> If Doug dove into a uh, into a lake and saved a baby at the risk of his own life, R. Scott Clark could not find anything positive to say. He would find some grounds for saying that um, that that was an example of the federal vision. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, the, the large majority of people who have been following this for any period of time at all have recognized that R. Scott Clark is utterly imbalanced on this issue, not doesn't even try, does not even pretend to try. Um, his detestation of Doug Wilson and sadly, as a result, anyone who would have dinner with Doug Wilson or say something positive about Doug Wilson, even debate Doug Wilson, um, it's just, wow. And so as I listened, I didn't realize, I didn't know the connection to R. Scott Clark and Heidelberg as I was listening to the NOCO radio episode, but I was just sitting there going, man, the animus this guy has, he's, he's judging Doug's heart. He's judging his motives. He's claiming to know. I mean, they're just, they're just assuming over and over again. And, and Mike, you did it too. You did it too, Mike. Love you, but you did it too. You're assuming, you know, what this man's intentions are and they're all negative. They're, they're all just, just horrible. There was no attempt to be fair. There was no attempt to be balanced. There was no attempt to have another side. Nothing uh, at all. And then it got to the end of the episode, and Mike says, uh, I've not listened to the interview that he did with James White, which was on what subject again? Uh, oh, the Federal Vision. And and who debated Doug uh, on whether Roman Catholics are brothers and sisters of Christ, which is a related subject in 2000? That would be me. Who's debated Doug more than almost anybody else? That would be me. Um, yeah, but I'm not going to listen to where you asked him about the subjects that um, are at the heart of all this. But I will listen to an acolyte of R. Scott Clark. So I was really disappointed in Mike and in that in that episode. Um, and then, so Costi Hens throwing this out, along with the Examining Moscow people. And so there is there is not even a pretense on the part of any of these folks, to be fair. None. It's just, nope, uh, we've already made the decision that uh, Wilson is a heretic and a danger, and so we don't need to be fair. You know, that's like trying to be fair to the Pope. No one's fair to the Pope. Well, actually, I've always tried to be, and that's gotten me into trouble. Because there have been a num number of times people, they misrepresented John Paul II, they misrepresented Ratzinger, they, they even misrepresented Francis. You don't even have to try to misrepresent Francis. But I, I've pointed out to people, you know, that's not really what he was saying. No, that's, mm. uh, but he's the Pope. We don't have to worry about it. Yes, we do. We're supposed to be truthful. We're supposed to allow the other side to have a say. We're you know, there's something about every side seems right until the other side comes along and asks questions. You know that thing? And so 
so I just basically, you know, I felt it was necessary. I, I said to Costi on Twitter, I said, brother, you're, you're, you're not utilizing sound sources here. You, you know, you're not being fair. Um, and so somehow, uh, in his response, he brings up Michael Brown. Um, and, and I'm like, well, here's September 24th. It's two days ago. Uh, I had said to him, many apples, oranges, and pears getting mixed together. Michael and Doug are very different people, and the issues at hand are in very different realms. My complaint is the sources you're relying upon, anonymous or filled with animus. Did you watch my interview with DW? And his response uh, was, and I don't see a date on this one. I'm not sure why. I think from what Rich said, it was this morning, but I, I don't know. I did, and respectively, I think you lack discernment. He dances with double talk like Bill Johnson. I know everything sounds nuts, and you're James White, but you're human, and Michael Brown somehow missed your scope. So what if you are blind to Doug Wilson as a Mark Driscoll 2.0? Okay. Um, rats, I was going to do this. I was going to do this. You know... Um, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I was, I was going to do this, but I will, uh, I'll do, I'll drop a time index YouTube link into the description. Okay. So not, not quite as efficient and effective, but since I forgot to queue it up, then it's the best I can do. The, the, the category errors again here are amazing. First of all, Kasi, if you think I lack discernment, then what questions should I have asked? Um, I asked him about monocovenantalism. I asked him about stuff that uh, Norm Shepard had said. I asked him about stuff that Kasi, I was I was attacking the Federal Vision when it first came out, and I don't think you were in ministry yet. So um, what discernment was I missing? When he says he dances with double talk like Bill Johnson, there is absolutely no, no comparison. I've read Bill Johnson books. I've read Doug Wilson books. You are wrong. Not even close. I'm, I'm concerned that someone could even make a comparison, to be honest with you, as to your discernment, to, very honestly, along those lines. Uh, what double talk? What double talk did he, did he give? Be specific. Be very, very specific as to what double talk I didn't catch. Because my gut feeling is, you know, when I have my sweater vest dialogues uh, with with Doug, for example, we had the sweater vest dialogue where we talked about um, Chesterton. Uh, basically, when you when you get an opportunity to really sit down with someone. And what I appreciate about Doug is Doug respects me enough to give thoughtful answers. Um, you, you end, we end up discovering that we're a lot closer than we thought we were and that we're both a little bit closer in the middle than we, we thought we had been out here. And so be specific. Um, tell me why I should think your knowledge of the federal vision material and the fact that I differentiated Doug Wilson 
from Peter Lightheart and others. We have blog articles, I think Rich was saying, from 2003, uh, where, where I recognize the difference between where, where these people were coming from. No one today even cares to, you just just throw them all in one big lump, one big pile. You don't, you don't notice any differences. Um, I did because you have to, if you're going to be fair, if you're going to be honest, if you're going to be Christian about it, I mean, we have to have this highest standards along those lines. So you just have to. Um, There is no connection between Bill Johnson and Doug Wilson. And let me give you another reason why. Now I've never met Bill Johnson. Um, so I cannot comment about almost anything about him, but unlike almost all the critics of Doug Wilson, I have met Doug Wilson and I have, um, eaten dinner in his home. Uh, I've gone to Sabbath dinner with he and his family. We've sat for hours, uh, just a few months ago, we sat for hours during a Sabbath dinner, uh, arguing text criticism because we don't agree on that. Um, though he certainly would not take Van Cleek's perspective, thankfully. Um, I have um, had private conversations in, in his office. At Taco Time, that's the best place in the world to have private conversations, Taco Time, wonderful. Uh, and I've said this on the program. I've said this on, on Twitter. Uh, I will say this about my friend Doug Wilson, with whom I... Again, I think I don't think he's debated anyone more often than me. Um, the man, first of all, is who he is in every context. I've never seen, and believe me, I've been around a lot of Christian superstars who were one thing on the stage, something completely different in the green room, and very different in other aspects of their life. And I don't think that's a good thing, personally. I certainly strive for that not to be the reality for me. And I think most people would, would say, yeah, you're pretty much, you're pretty boring wherever you are. <laughs> it's true. Um, he is who he is in every situation. Um, his focus remains the same. And... Uh, all I know is that the people who assume, and the, the guy on NOCA Radio, the assumption all the way along was he's lying. He has bad motives. Um, I haven't lived with the man, but I've spent enough time with him, and that's not Doug Wilson. Your animus is misplaced. It is false, and it's slanderous. And needs to be repented of, to be perfectly honest with you, because you don't know. You're going completely on secondary source, second, third, fourth hand, sometimes anonymous sources. No, it was in a book. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, it was in a book. Written 20 years ago, and everything else spoken on the subject has been ignored, you know? Um, I just hope, especially for you guys that have been doing all this stuff where you get people who've been disciplined or something like that, and they all get together and they're all angry and they say bad things about those of you who are ministers. um, It's going to happen to you too. And 
when it does, I just hope you remember that you didn't give grace to somebody else. So if you're going to be asking for grace, you're going to have to be going, I need to repent of what I did when I didn't give grace before. Because it's real easy to do the slander thing. It's real easy to do the animus thing. Until you're the one who is the object of that slander and that animus that is not deserved. Just, just be warned. Just be aware. There are so many times when, when things happen in a church. And as a minister, you can not say anything in your own self-defense because you will expose things that would ruin people's lives. Every minister in the audience knows exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about. And it's only the people who evidently haven't been in the life of the church enough to have experienced that who would dare to then join in stoning somebody else based upon the same stuff. Um, so uh, I, I went back to Doug, but, and Michael Brown somehow missed your scope. So what if you are blind to Doug Wilson as Mark Driscoll 2.0? Um, again, I don't know how anyone can even begin to make a connection between Mark Driscoll and Doug Wilson. It's, that's like confusing me with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I mean, it's, there is no discernment there at all. Um, category error on steroids uh, with nuclear radiation and mutations. Um, but the link that I'm going to post, I will time index it, is to the debate that Michael Brown and I did with two homosexual ministers um, just a couple of years ago. Was that 2018 or 2019? I, I think it may have been 2019. Wow. Seems like another lifetime. You know, you could fly places and things like that. Uh, all pre-COVID. And uh, I will link to the first rebuttal period. And I'll, and I'll give you the background. And there's a reason for it. Michael and I had, we were staying in the same hotel and we met in my room. And really all we discussed was how we were going to handle the opening statement. We decided to split it exactly in half. And that may gave us each 10 minutes. And if you watch the debate, nailed it because he and I both have to do stuff where we have to be very accurate in time. He has a nationwide program. So he has a certain thing called a clock that you have to, you got to be in and out at certain times. And I've, I've done programs like that. And anyway, that was all we talked about. Um, we didn't talk about how we were going to do anything else. We're just both experienced debaters. And so we didn't really need to. And then we had a time of prayer together. You watch the debate. The homosexuals gave their presentation and we gave ours. And in our rebuttal, we remained seated at our table. And after the, the debate was over, people literally came up to us and they asked us, did you all memorize your rebuttal? And even Mike and I, when the debate was over, there's a there's a little delay 
before the rush of people start coming up and want to make comments and take pictures and sign books and do all that kind of stuff. And I was putting sort of putting stuff away and I just, I just looked over at Mike and he looked over at me and I said, what happened in that rebuttal period? And he just shook his head and he said, that was a God thing. <laughs> um, we were finishing each other's sentences. We, there was a flow to that rebuttal. I could see why people thought we had pre-memorized it because it, it just, it was harmonious. And it was utterly unrehearsed, utterly undiscussed. You simply had two ministers of the gospel, both of whom have debated homosexuality and same-sex mirage and everything else for years. I mean, other than Bob Gagnon and a few other people, I mean, Mike and I have been some of the most, some of the earliest and the most vocal people debating this particular subject. We have. Both published. Um, and so we just wanted to speak God's truth and we spoke the exact same truth from the scriptures to those two, two people. And I, I can remember them just looking over at us like, what did we get ourselves into? And they, they wanted to hear what we had to say. It was, it was really amazing. And a similar thing had happened when he and I in 2010 had debated two Unitarians we were finishing each other's sentences. We were absolutely on the same page. And again, no communication before the debate at all. It was simply a common commitment to the word of God. Now, we have also debated each other. And Mike will tell you that I sat down across from him at a, at a we were staying at a resort in Malaga, Spain, before we recorded those um, debates that we did on uh, divine healing uh, on Revelation TV. And I straight up told him that I felt it was completely wrong for him to go, have gone on with your uncle, Benny Him. And he explained his motivations, but he has since then said, you know what, in hindsight, you, you, you're right. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. Um, but I told him straight up because that's what you have to do. And you have to take those risks sometimes. Though it really wasn't a risk because I felt like our relationship was strong enough to handle that kind of thing and has to if we're going to be debating each other on other subjects. The point is this. Um, you can you can say what you want, but, but I have seen both of these men in very different contexts faithfully deliver the message of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it sounds like a lot of people out there are saying both these men are non-Christian heretics. 
I mean, there's, I know that there are people who say that of both of them, and there are probably people, a lot of people would say it, say it of both of them. There's some who might say of one and not the other and, and vice versa, I suppose. My knowing them personally is not, does not give me infallibility, but it certainly gives me a big advantage over you. A big advantage over you. And especially because I've known both of them in the context of working together with them and in debating against them and in disagreeing with them. And there's almost nobody else who can make that claim with those two individuals. So who should we believe? The person who has spent hours with these individuals and engaged these individuals and worked with these individuals or somebody reading anonymous stuff on the internet or stuff from people that are so filled with animus that they, they can't speak coherently when speaking about this person because they have so much anger about them. I think the answer is fairly clear. Uh, and I'll leave that to other people to decide, but it's certainly sufficient for me. Um, and so I'm going to stand firm with those folks uh, who are saying to everyone who is currently jumping on the, um, well, in, in fact, I saw just as, as we were getting started, I saw your, I saw the comments of Costi Hinn uh, that uh, he should, uh, Doug should run for political office. Um. I just saw your last message, and I'm not sure what the, so, this is. So you can hear me, right? Yep. Okay. So uh, I have a question here on this subject, on, on the basis of the fact that it seems that so many uh, who have followed the lead of Doug Wilson, Badman, and uh, Michael Brown, Badman, and you say otherwise, and they go, Doug Wilson, Badman, and... Michael Brown, bad man, and that's that. Um, you know, for those of us who are extremely dense and unable to hear your words in your actual intentions, when you say that you dined with them, that you've been in their home, or Michael's, or I'm sorry, Doug's home, that you've yes. broken bread with him. Uh, I did my laundry in his house. We're, we're not talking about some polite... Um, I'm going to just bite my tongue and say what the, you know, things are uh, all real nice, etc. These guys are accusing you of being compromised. These guys are accusing you of looking past all these issues and never bringing any of them up with these men. Yeah. Uh, they are accusing you of, I mean, well, Costi said it directly. You lack discernment here. They are saying that you're so close and friendly to these guys that you just can't see the problem. And I hear that. And in going on, I believe, well, no, I've been working with you now for 35 years. If that isn't scary enough all by itself, the fact that you hang out with me. Um, but <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Yeah, there you go. go um, but to be extremely... Frank, you were, we were, 
on the cutting edge of federal vision before, as you said, and I just want to drive this home, before there was such a thing as a blog, you were blogging. We were sitting there with a stick and a rock of software stringing together language on a screen. Uh, It was 800 by 600, and you were going after federal vision tooth and nail. Now, what a lot of people don't realize, that 2004 debate... I organized it. I'm the one that plotted it. I'm the one that put it all together. You guys did the debate, but the entire event, I'm the one that even sold the tickets. Okay? We, I, I organized it. And I remember very clearly you making distinctions in 2004. Look, this guy of all the federal vision, you, you made me listen to Steve Schlichel. Well, is it um, is it James ba- James Barrich? Is is that his name or what? I had to sure. listen to Schlissel and Barrich, and I had to listen to all these guys. And if you want Federal Vision, as as Doug said in the interview with you in the sort of vest dialogue, I don't know the difference between the the uh, strength of the beers that he was mentioning, but yes. uh, you know what was it? Stout and. Uh, uh, another one, yeah. wheat, something yeah, he, like he that. He lost me there too. As soon as oh. you start doing the alcohol, stuff, I'm like, I'm what? Like, huh? But I presume that meant that you know this guy's a whole lot stronger on it. And if these guys yes. were honest, if they were honest, they would go back and they would listen to the stuff that I had to listen to back then, and they would find out what Federal Vision, to its core, really was. Well, no. What they would what they would recognize is there has never been a single federal vision. Well, that's true too. There were but certain things that they tried to agree on, but they never really actually. And this is what I brought out then. They never really actually did agree. No, no, they on didn't. Those key core issues. That was the point. So that goes to the next question, and that has to do with something that I just think is the most ridiculous accusation: platforming. The idea that you would go to a conference because so-and-so's on stage, too. And that means that you must think that so-and-so's okay. And I sit back and go, why are you, why are you demanding that we surrender the ground? You go to a conference you've been invited, and let's say it's an eclectic conference. It has got a lot of different guys from a lot of different perspectives, and they demand that your perspective be absent? That's crazy. Well, and all of it comes down to fundamentally forcing people to say, are you saying that Michael Brown or Doug Wilson, whatever the context is, is an unbeliever? And on what grounds? On what basis? Well, they're saying and worse. People, they're saying they're not, they're not only unbelievers, they're liars. Yeah, they're, they're, they're deceivers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just too naive to, to yeah. see, the, see the deception. And, you know, then you then you look at the clarity of their confessions of faith and uh, you just go, wow, you guys are pretty bold, um, especially for someone that, look, Doug has been in the lion's den. Mike has been in the lion's den. I've been in the lion's den. Yeah. Most of these guys have never been in the lion's den. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, no. They're sitting their, in the cheap lion's den, Their lion's den is the internet. Well, um, like I said, they're sitting in the cheap seats in the nosebleed section, 
And yeah. they're talking and pointing at the quarterback going, I could be so much better than you. Tossing, and, tossing yeah. the peanuts down onto the field. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the problem. And so, um, yeah, yeah. But But people need to see and have discernment here that the arguments that are being made boil down to guilt by association and every step. You're not allowed to be seen alongside these people because X, Y, and Z, or so-and-so, says X about them. It's not just being seen alongside these people. When I'm on Man Rampant, when we're doing the sweater vest dialogues, if I'm on Line of Fire, I'm identifying them as my brother. Right. So it's, it's you know, I you have to conclude that I'm an, Id- I'm an idiot or maybe I'm a deceiver too. Um, that's the only place that this kind of stuff can go. And it's, it's, it's sad. I do have a question for you though. Why, why is the, why is the rich cam not working? Oh, the rich cam. Let's see here. I, I see if I can figure out how to I, use I just, it again. Just wondered, you know, if that's just not something you can do when you're, when you're doing that kind of thing, uh, or, or, or not, but don't worry about it. I just, 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 just wondering, cause this voice is just flo- wafting across the, uh, the airwaves and, uh, there you go. Anyway, I've gone over my time, and um, you know what? It almost looks like there's snow behind me, doesn't it? <laughs> Trust me, it's not. Um, that would be that would be that would not be good. Uh, I, I don't want to pull my unit in snow. Um, but it is going to be a beautiful evening here, wherever it is I am. And um, I, I, I tomorrow is an extra long day, so I don't know that I'm going to be able to get in in time to, uh, to, to do another program, maybe respond to some of the stuff that will come from this. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but it's going to be, I, I extended tomorrow so that Wednesday would be a shorter day and I could, I could get into Conway early enough to attend a staff meeting. Um, in essence is what I'm going to try to do. Still don't know if I'm going to make it, but we, we will see. But I am so thankful to have had the opportunity to uh, get this, uh, program in and um, uh, to catch up on a lot of the stuff that had happened and to say thanks to many people that helped make the past two weeks so great. And I've uh, got one more intense weekend teaching from, I think, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. two days in a row, then 8 a.m. to noon on the third day, I think, is how the schedule goes. Um, and really, I'm going to be going all day long because we're going to do some stuff in the evening and so it's going to be a really intensive period of time and uh, then getting home and getting to hug little ransom and reintroduce him to his grandpa uh, who he's only met once when he was just barely born. And um, that'll be, that'll be great. And uh, that, that, that'll be super. So thanks to everybody who makes this possible. Again, the reason that we can buy the gas and, uh, do these types of things, go to the churches that I went to uh, last week in Pennsylvania, some of which are out in literally the middle of nowhere. There is no way I could ever get to those places if I was flying. Um, just It just wouldn't happen. But because we have this little unit, uh, then, it, then it can happen. And so you make that possible. We appreciate that. And those churches appreciate that uh, as well, too. So... Um, and I'm also appreciative of high-quality internet. I would like to encourage all KOAs <laughs> to obtain high-quality internet. That would be that'd be great. 
Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the program today and um, uh, to to Squirrel and to the other students heading to Conway. Uh, looking forward to uh, breaking bread and teaching history and doing all sorts of fun stuff like that while we're there. And um, that's uh, going to be an exciting time. So thanks for watching the Dividing Line today. Uh, we'll see you whenever the next time will be. God bless.